You're listening to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions, and I'm your host, Michelle Dawes-Burke. Fasten your seatbelts as it's sure to be an informative discussion and conversation. Keep in mind that we are not perfect, but we're empowered. Enjoy. Good afternoon and welcome to Real Chicks Rock Presents Real Discussions. I am your host, Michelle Dosburn, and I can't, I, I can't today. <laughs> I am so super excited. First of all, it's been a long time since I had someone in this space with me because of the pandemic. And so I'm really super excited to have somebody in the room with me. It feels good. It feels like old times. Um, and I'm going to introduce my guest in a second, but I just want to welcome all the new people. Welcome. Thank you for joining us. Um, for those of you that are new, let me look give you a little background about what, about what Real Chicks Rock is all about. It's all about creatively collaborating and connecting to raise awareness regarding issues that impact us women. Yes, yes. And we do it by way of community service, by public speaking, mentoring, workshops, and the arts. And we have been doing this platform. This is our sixth season, so I'm super excited about that. And this year has been fire as it relates to the guests. And I just, I'm just really so tickled. Another announcement I want to share. It is October. It is Domestic um, Violence Awareness Month. It is Breast Cancer Awareness Month. And also, it is the ninth year for Real Chicks Rock. Wow. So we are celebrating this month. October marks nine years. Congratulations. Thank you so much of us doing this. So we are super excited about that. And one other thing, this show is powered by a couple of people. But first and foremost, I had a wonderful opportunity with the Wellness Spot. They are a black-owned and operated um, wellness and spa center down uh, located in downtown College Park. Awesome facility, great services, and they are paying it forward. They are doing a best foot forward shoe drive. It ended really, I think, on the 31st of September, but it, I think they're making exceptions to the rule because of the, the demand has been so phenomenal. So if you have some lightly worn shoes, please donate your shoes to the wellness spot located in downtown College Park. And we'll talk about them some more at the end of the show. Today... <laughs> it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood here in Atlanta, and I am so excited because today my guest is Taisha Fernandez. Yay, yay! Hello! Yay. My producer is typing <laughs> in the booth like, yay, I'm so excited. I met this beautiful person two weeks ago. Yep. At the Sister in Business Expo, I was in the press, the press area. Yeah, yeah, did a, did a write up on the whole thing. And this person walked in with this beautiful energy and flow, and just lit up the whole room. And was with us for most of the day. And we got to meet. And I think it was love at first sight for me. <laughs> we had a great conversation we had a right a off great the bat. Conversation right off the bat. And I asked her, would she be a guest? And she said yes. So today, my topic is a talk with Taisha. Hi. Hi. How are you? Good, and good to see you again, oh, and man. thank you for all the compliments. Oh, yes, you're wonderful. Thank you're you. Wonderful. Let's, let's, let's just jump right in. Let's jump right let's in. Let's jump right Where in. Where are you from? So I am from Brockton, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which is just south of Boston. Mm-hmm. For people in Atlanta, I always say I'm from the College Park, East Pointish uh, <laughs> part of Boston, like about 20 fin- yeah. minutes down south. Yeah. Um, grew up there, and I... Didn't go to Howard right away. Okay. I went to UMass Amherst, mm-hmm. chasing a boy. Mm-hmm. And even though everybody in my family told me not to do it, because yeah. my plan was to always go to Howard, I thought I was Denise. 
uh, Huxtable, Huxtable, I wanted to go to Hillman, yeah, yeah. which is really Howard because uh, Debbie Allen, the executive producer, went to Howard. <laughs> yes, she For did. all you people who think it's Hampton, it's not. I'm sorry it's to bust your bubble. It's Howard. <laughs> so I got derailed from my plan, went to UMass. Hated it. Nothing against people who graduated from UMass, but it just was not for me. Yeah. And then um, he got somebody else pregnant, which was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, broke my heart, but yeah. I was I would have never really gone and chased my dreams mm. if that didn't happen. Mm. So I transferred to Howard um, in 1999 because mm-hmm. I graduated from high school in 97 and um, pursued my broadcast journalism wow. career. Yeah. And Starting I started, there. I was anchoring the news station at Howard. Um, and it's crazy that I even got that because I totally messed up the audition. Really? I mean, really I messed mean, up. Well, how, 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 I was how? like. I was like squinting at the teleprompter. I didn't know my cues. I was messing everything up. I was wow. stuttering. But my professor saw something in me, <laughs> something in me that I didn't see. And I got that um, position at Howard, and I became an anchor at the at the school. And that kind of just started um, the the hard journey and road. It still wasn't easy, even though that happened. It was still um, a difficult road to get to WSB. It wasn't. It wasn't. Um... It it was a good thing. It was a very good thing. And I want to go back to the Boston years for just a second. Yes. What was it like for you as a kid growing up in Boston? So a lot of people who have never been to Boston mm-hmm. think they say, oh, there's black people in Boston. <laughs> there's plenty of black people in Boston. <laughs> the reason why people say that is because there are not a lot of black decision makers in Boston. Ah. There are a lot more now than there mm-hmm. were when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. But I experienced a lot of racism growing up. Did I watched know? my brother's uncle's father get harassed by the police a really? lot. You know, my parents had to talk with us about how you act with police really? very young. Really? Um, and it just always felt like we were capped. Like you can do well until you get to right here mm. and then you can't do anything past this. And it was very um, clear. The racism is very clear up North. Yeah. I feel like, um, well, let me back up a little bit. Mm-hmm. It can be hidden mm-hmm. because there are a lot of, you know, no one runs around in uh, clan uniforms or anything, or they don't say the N-word out loud right, like right. they do in the South a lot. Right. But, you know, they're police, they're right. judges, they're mm-hmm. teachers, yes. they're, they're everywhere. I want to tell you a story real quick. Mm-hmm. So I was in the gifted program. Uh, I got into the gifted program in the fourth grade. I went fourth, fifth, and sixth. And um, while I was going into the seventh grade, my mom just trusted that the school system would do what they were supposed to do and look at my records. They looked at my last name, and I guess all the other people or most of the other people with my last name were in basic and standard, and they never opened my file because they just put me in they basic standard. Insane. So I get to my first day of school, and it's like a party. And, you know, I've never been in basic or standard. I've always been in honors advanced yeah. where it's, like, really serious. Yeah. So I was like, I'm not going to lie, I was having a good time. People, yeah. had, people had boom boxes. <laughs> I'm talking about this is, like, 92, 91, 92. So I was like, I'm not saying anything. So I didn't say anything. I said, I'm going to tell my mom Monday. Mm. You know, school started Monday. I said, I'm just going to have fun this week. And then I'm (laughs) going to tell my mom. Well, Friday, they brought me to what's called chapter one. And they tried to teach me how to read in the seventh grade. And I said, okay, I can't, I can't fake that. I can't play this anymore. I don't belong here. And the woman said, sweetie, nobody belongs here. And I said, no, you don't understand. When my mother finds out, finds out that you all put me in this, in this class, we're all going to be in trouble. And she just laughed at me. 
I went home, told my mom what happened. My mom was a teacher in Boston, in the city of Boston. She took Monday off, came up to that school, and I'll never forget, she demanded answers. I want to know why my daughter was put in this basic class. And I just remember everybody in the office faces beat red, the principal's face beat red because no one wanted to admit that they never looked at my file. My mother brought it all the way to the superintendent. I don't even know if anybody got fired, but I know heads were turned and people were rocked. And hopefully that stopped that from happening, at least at that school. But that is rooted racism I mean, right yes, in your face. Yeah. You just judged me by my last name. Like, she couldn't be in advance. Oh, my God. Yeah. So that's the kind of things I dealt with growing up. It's not the, you know, you N-word, you this, you that. Yeah. It's like, we're going to make sure that you don't uh, succeed easily. Jeez. Yeah. 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 I tell everybody that story. And people, yeah. educators in Brockton hate to hear that story, but I'm like, you're going to hear the truth. That's the truth. Mm-hmm. And so how soon did you get to go to your right class? Did they do it? Oh, right that, ne- well, my mother took me out of that school. Oh, she, did. she took me out of that school because she didn't want me under the direction of those educators. Wow. So I went to a different junior high school, okay. um, which, cause in, in Brockton, it's North, South, East and West junior high schools. And so I just went to East junior high okay. and, um, had a much better experience. And you know, you know, how news travels. Yeah. So everybody had heard that my mother had done all this and gone to the superintendent. So they made sure that I personally didn't have any more problems yeah. like that. But imagine the kids who didn't have a teacher for a mom. All right. You know what oh, I mean? Somebody, or, or somebody who didn't have a voice. And I am Cape Verdean, which is West African and Portuguese mixed, mm-hmm. um, Portugal colonized West, this West, yes. West African country. And so uh, there are a lot of Cape Verdeans in Brockton. And a lot of their parents didn't speak English back then. So they would never have someone to go to bat for them like I did. My dad is Cape Verdean. My mother is black American who grew up very poor and got a scholarship to Boston University. And, you know, that is who I had as a mother. Thank God. Yes. Because I know a lot of my, and when I post, I posted this once on Facebook and a lot of people shared their stories at that particular school and at other schools. So I know a lot of people didn't excel the way that they were supposed to because they didn't have the backup that I had. My gosh. That's the kind of racism we dealt with in Massachusetts. And hopefully it's not still like that. Do you go back to talk to students? Oh God. Yes. Yes. So I have a lot of uh, relatives in the school system. Now my brother um, works in the school system. Now he's actually, he's contracted by the school system. He goes to all different schools. And so I go back, I've talked to, I've talked to that particular school before. Um, I've talked to different high schools. My favorite group is that, um, 12 to 16. Yeah. 12, because I feel like that is when a lot of, a lot of boys and girls decide, am I going this way yeah, or am I going this changes. way? Am I taking the easy road? Mm-hmm. Am I taking the high road? Yes. Am I taking the hard road? Yes. Am I taking the good road? Mm-hmm. You know, what do I want to be? Because mm-hmm. you really do 
mold, start to mold into who you are yeah. at that age yeah. and who you're around and the people who are either supporting you, uplifting you or suppressing you mm-hmm. is, has a lot to do with what, a what, lot. what turns out a lot in middle school or junior high school is a very difficult period because kids are going through changes. Yeah. They're going through an awareness of their body, yeah. sexual preference, yep. liking, yep. not liking, yeah. you know. And do uh, you like yourself? Do you like yourself? And it's a whole lot of pressure. And then some pockets of educators, not all, not all, kind of group and stereotype kids anyway. Yes. Right? So the junior high school is very difficult because you're not little kids in elementary. Yes. And you're not in high school. So it's like this gray space for yeah. them. Anyway, and some kids aren't getting the support at home. Not like, at thank all. God, my mom yeah. was such a pusher. Yes, because I always tell people when they're like, "Man, how did you get to where you're at?" And I'm like, "I'm not any smarter than you probably were at that age. Mm-hmm. I just had an awesome support system, yeah. and my mother was relentless with yeah. pushing me. Yeah, and I hated it at times, mm-hmm. but I love it now. Yeah, of course, like it. He like yeah. it no, constantly. no, you're not supposed to like it. You're not supposed to be friends with like, your kids at that age. No. He rolls his eyes. Yeah. He oh, I was bad. Understand. I was like, I'll park the car. I'll go inside. I'll talk to the principal. Yes. Like, no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, no, because I need to know answers. Oh, like this isn't. Yeah. This is not optional. Like, yeah, you have to have a presence. And I believe, you know, what your mom did. And I believe myself and other moms who speak up. Yeah. We help those people, those students whose parents want to and can't mm-hmm. because there's mm-hmm. a lot of parents that can't take the time off from work. They can't. They can't be there for their kids physically, yep. so they're hoping and don't know and what to say. They don't know what to say. And they're hoping and praying that everything will turn out. So those that can say something for your own child, you are actually speaking for other children as well because they're going to they're gonna snap up. They're yeah. going to get yeah. in shape because they're like, oh, she's watching. Other parents are watching. Other mm-hmm. people are going to say something, and they don't want that smoke. They didn't want your smoke. This smoke Listen, your I know what my mom did for me. <laughs> definitely helped other kids because yeah. she definitely scared some people at that school. And that was the first time I had ever seen my mom in that kind of space. Mm. Like, you know, I always looked at the principal and the administrators there as like, nobody can talk to them a certain way. Right. But my mother came in there and just dominated that room. And they didn't. And I mean, it was silent crickets. Yeah crickets. No one had an explanation. And I never forgot that. Mm, it stays with you forever. Yeah. Tell me about coming from Cape Verde. Yeah. What is that like? Like your family's from, your dad is from there. So did he come here as a young child? So it was or? his great grandparents. Mm-hmm. So my dad, I'm, 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 we're more Americanized, okay. I would say. Mm-hmm. But I grew up with a lot of people who um, literally were just born there and came over or um, their parents were born there and they were born in America, like first generation. Mm -hmm. So Mm -hmm. I'm not really like, I didn't have it as rough as a lot of my friends who are like, we call them like real Cape Verdean, Cape Verdean. We call them like off the boat Cape Verdeans. I'm more like, um, thank God, like I I had a balance of both. I mean, it's not offensive to us. We know what that means. Yes, because a lot of them were literally off the boat. Um, But I, I still got the stereotype from it. Like, you know, from my last name, like that's how that whole story I just told you. So I still, even though I didn't have the difficulty that a lot of them had with learning the language and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, Mm -hmm. I definitely got the prejudice from it. Mm. And why, why did our grandparents and our ancestors migrate from Cape Verde to Boston? Why Boston? It's so funny. I, I can only give you what my, um, 
my educated guess on it is okay. because I never get a solid answer. But one thing I know is that Cape Verdeans are very tightly um, family oriented. Mm -hmm. So whenever the first family came over, and I know that they're fishermen by, by trade, yeah. right? So they needed to be on the port on, yes. on, on the water. Okay. Now, why they didn't go south where it was warmer? I don't know. Yeah. I don't know why they came to Boston, but they went to Boston. <laughs> and once one family came, they all would come to, and that family would help other families and help nice. other families and help nice. other families. Nice. Because even like when I'm here and I tell people I'm Kate Verdi, and they're like, you're from Boston. Like they know, they know. Boston, like we have, uh, Cape Verdean elected officials. Mm -hmm. We have Cape Verdean, um, I know a state rep mm -hmm. that's a Cape Verdean woman. Um, I don't know if we have anybody in the Senate yet, but uh, the mayor, we have people running for mayor in my, in my city of Brockton. Um, I don't know why they all came, but I know that they are a culture of people that stick together. So I can only imagine that when one family came, they all came. Mm -hmm. One question about your mom and dad. Do yeah. you remember how they met? Yes. This is such a great story. <laughs> so my mom um, was a very talented musician, and she played all kinds of instruments in Philadelphia, and she grew up very, very poor. She was one of nine. Mm -hmm. And so at the time, and I don't know if you know this, but I learned this kind of recently, in the late 60s, different universities, big universities, were getting sued for not having enough um, students of color. Okay. Boston University was one of them. Right. So they sent recruiters out to um, different cities in the country mm -hmm. to recruit um, black students and probably other students of color. You also had to have a talent, though. They weren't just going to take you because okay. you were black or you were smart. You okay. had to have a talent. Mm -hmm. So my mother played the pipe organ, and that was so rare. Yeah, that so is she rare. got a full scholarship to Boston University wow. in 1969. Mm -hmm. And so she was going there. She had just graduated. She was playing the organ for a church. And it's so funny that churches were doing bingo in the basement back then because <laughs> gambling supposed to be a sin. But a lot of churches did that back then. And so she was... Um, working in the bingo in the basement, and my father was working down there too. Okay. He was calling numbers. She was passing out cards. <laughs> and back then, like it was different than it is now. Like you could kind of pass guys around if you if you dated somebody and y'all didn't hit it off, then your friend could date him and see what happens. Okay. Like this is what my mother told me from her own mouth. Okay. So my mom's friend went on a date with my dad first. Okay, her name was Gina, and it didn't work out. I don't know how far it went with the dating, but it didn't work out. And then my mom, you know, wanted to date him. But she said, even like before the first date, she was like, he's just so short. I don't think I'm going to marry him. She said by the end of that date, she knew she was going to marry him. She said his eyes, his personality, his energy, just, and he was a divorced man. Yeah. He was divorced. Mm. He had two children. Mm. And that was like a no-no in my mom's family right. to marry okay. a man that already had children and that was divorced. Mm -hmm. And my mom just kind of went against the grain. She really loved my father. They got married, I think, maybe two years later. Mm. And it was my dad who actually helped my mom get on track with her career because my mom was so giving. Mm. She was working at the Elma Lewis School. If anybody's listening from Boston from back in the day, you probably know. She was barely getting paid. Wow. And my father was like, listen, you're not about to be having a college degree and not get paid. Like, I, my father didn't have a college degree. He went to high school. He had a high school diploma, but he was a laborer. He worked for the gas company. He worked for um, a cleaning company on the side. He, had a, he worked like three jobs yeah. so that he could make good money. 
And he told my mom, you're not going to have this degree from Boston University and not get a good job. So he helped her, pushed her, get a job, and she got a job at one of the most prestigious high schools in Boston called Boston Latin School. She was there for 34 years wow. before she passed away. Ooh. Yep, 34 years. And um, they had three kids together. I am the middle child, oh. had my brother, me, and my sister. Yeah, and they were married all the way up until my mom passed away from a brain aneurysm in 2010. I'm so sorry to hear that. Yeah, God called her for a reason. I'll, yeah. I'll find out when I get there. I but know that's right. I don't know. We don't know, but I just know her time here was short. Yeah. I was 31 years old when she passed away. It absolutely killed me inside. Yeah. Um, but I also used it kind of as fuel to go forward because she watched how hard it I worked in this industry and I could never crumble because she was gone when I got, had the best thing and the worst thing happen to me in one week. I got a job in Boston at the Fox station and my mother died in the same week. Well, I didn't get the job. I got the interview and my mom passed literally eight days later, but I thank God for that interview because it was the last time I saw her. Yeah. In Boston. She visited me a lot. I saw her like at least every other month, mm-hmm. but I had not seen her before the interview for at least maybe two months. Okay. So that interview, um, June 18th, 2010 was the last time I saw her and she passed away June 26th. Mm-hmm. She's with you. Always. She is. She's That's the only reason why I'm here. You twinkle. Cause Sitting here mom. with you. Yeah. yeah you twinkle cause your mom. I'm telling you. you. Thank you mom. <laughs> Thank you mom. Thank you mom for everything that you've done. <laughs> I want to talk about the HU years. And okay. I, and as Taisha said, not Hampton. We're talking it's about Howard. Howard. I'm sorry y'all. Got a lot of people from Howard listening. So listen, <laughs> <laughs> tell us how that was that experience with you. Oh my gosh. That. Okay. So I'm at UMass. And I got my heart broken and I'm like barely picking myself off the floor. Thank God I was, so my mom was also the organist at our church. Mm. So thank God we had a very tight, strong, supportive church family. They got the application for me. They helped me figure it. They helped me fill it out. And I had to do rolling admissions at that point because I had applied so late. I didn't apply until maybe I got my heart broken in May. I probably started applying in June. Yeah. And, you know, if anybody knows anything about college, that's rolling admissions. You kind of just get what you get. You may get in, you may not. Right. So I ended up getting in in August, mm. and my parents were like, yes, you are out of here. They wanted me out of Brockton. <laughs> and we get to Howard, and there's no housing because it's everybody had everybody taken was, it. Yeah, yeah. And they had to get me an apartment, which was the best thing ever. Mm-hmm. Yep, got an apartment. And um, I remember, like, getting validated getting a validation sticker was like oh my god at that time i've heard that it's gotten a lot better please howard i hope it's gotten a lot better (laughs) but we literally had to wait in line for like six hours to get my stuff straightened out and then we waited in one line for two hours and then found out that was the wrong line they and then so me my mom and my sister split into the three lines like all right we're gonna do it this way yep and i'll never forget this woman named tony newman she helped me. Mm. Me, my mom, we were all crying. No. And she helped us. I don't know if she's still at Howard or not, but Tony Newman, she helped us. And I um, went to Howard and I lost a year of credits because, but it's okay. I, looking back, I'm like, why was I rushing to get out of school? School was like the best. I loved it. So I ended up graduating in 2002 as opposed to supposed to graduate in 2001 if I had stayed on track at UMass. Mm-hmm. But um, this was when Bob Johnson still owned BET. Yes. So I worked for BET. I was a, the, one of the first writers for BET.com. Awesome. I did a lot of events for BET, which was great. I wasn't getting paid, but it was like in my heart. I was getting paid in my heart. I loved it. The experience was awesome. 
awesome. Um, and I met my now husband in those years mm. that we broke up and got back together nice. in 2019. Now, were you an intern doing the BET.com? I was. I was one of the first interns for BET.com. They had just started the um, .com and they needed people to write things. I had to write like bios and articles. And so, but I was like in the mix yeah. and I, that was like a priceless experience mm. for me to be in the mix. And it was a good writing experience too, but I was yeah. definitely an intern, an unpaid intern. How long did you do that? I did that for probably two years or maybe a year and a half um, because it was close to like graduation time when I did it. Mm -hmm. And um, then I graduated and I made the mistake, if there are any college students listening, I made the mistake of not having news internships. I had like all fun. I worked for, I interned for Jive Records. Yeah. I like, I was having a good old time, but that's not what I really wanted to do. So now I graduate and I'm like, woohoo, graduate 2002. And no one will give me a job because I had never been in a newsroom. Ah. So then I got into this program called Minorities in Broadcasting Training Program. And a woman um, named Patrice, I cannot think of her last name now, but her name is Patrice. And she's a dark-skinned woman. And she felt like she didn't get the opportunities that she should have gotten because she was darker skinned. So she started this program called MIBTP. And she had all these relationships with different stations. And the deal was the station would hire us. She would weed us out from like, I think it was like 2,000 applicants. And that's a whole story of itself, how I got picked. But she picked 10 of us, and she had 10 stations at the time mm -hmm. ready to take us on for $10 an hour. And the contract was, you work for $10 an hour for nine months. And after that nine months, the station will decide to hire you for real or not. Mm -hmm. So I was like, I didn't care if it was, I was like, I'm ready. I, I can do that. Yeah. And that was right about when the housing market was about to crash. And I guess the news stations were feeling it because it went from 10 stations down with it to eight to six to four to two wow so it was me and one other girl and i got placed in midland texas at um news west nine the nbc station in texas yeah and it was like what a culture shock for me like Midland, Texas how is so, how so? Okay, how far so, is it from Dallas or Houston? Give five me hours from Dallas, nine hours from Houston, five hours from San Antonio. Like nowhere. Nowhere. When I tell you, nowhere. when I tell you, tumbleweeds are real, and I didn't know that. <laughs> so one hit my car and scratched my Mustang up. Oh my! And I didn't know over the tracks was a real thing either. You know, up north there is no over the tracks. There, you really go over the tracks, and that is where the black people are, and that's where I hung out, and that's where everything looks like everything's about to fall apart. There's no building codes yeah. over the tracks. There's no code enforcement. Wow! And I, um, I wanted to go home, mm. and it was nothing green. It was all dirt. dirt. No, no flat. trees, no grass, and you could feel the oil in your throat. You, all you see is those uh, pump jacks yeah, yeah. going into the ground. And I mean, it was super culture shock oh. for me. But I remember being so excited for the job and I would go to work and be so happy. Mm. And then I would go home and cry. And I'll never forget Jay Hendricks. He was our main anchor. He's my Facebook friend now. He was a main anchor and he was our news director, if that tells you how small market mm. this was. And um, he just believed in me. And another guy named Jose Gayona, they really believed in me because I was terrible. I'll never forget the first time I was on air, I started talking. I was supposed to go to a VO, start talking over a VO, and I just stopped talking. And they were all going, talk, talk. And I was like, and um, I, uh, like, I would have changed the station because my voice was like shaking horrible. Like, she cute, but this, this isn't going to work. So they taught me everything. Everything. 
everything. And I thank them for that. And I learned quick. I'm really yes. a quick learner. Like I got, and then I started um, anchoring like a year later. Yes. There was an opening for an anchor spot. I got the anchor spot. I was so much more comfortable. And then from there, I had gotten an offer uh, to be an anchor in Austin, Texas, but I really wanted to get out of Texas. I'm sorry, y'all. Yeah, I yeah. really wanted to get out of Texas. Yeah, yeah. And so then I ended up in, um, there was a thing back then. So there was still no like LinkedIn or yeah. no. Facebook no. or no Instagram no. back then. So it was a, uh, a website called tvjobs.com. Oh. And you would have to subscribe and you would pay and then you would apply to all these jobs and you either get them or you don't. So I started applying to all these jobs when my contract was coming up and I got all these jobs. And so I, oh, but let me tell you this. I had to cut the Isha off my name to get jobs. I was not getting anything when I was just Taisha Fernandez. I cut the Isha off and went by Ty Fernandez and I started getting calls. Are you kidding? Yep. Serious? Wow. Serious. So then I got a job in Fort Myers, Florida and my news director, he has passed on now. His name is Forrest Carr and he grew up in Tennessee in a very racist family in a very racist time. And he sat me down once he gave me the job and he said, why are you going by Ty? And I told him the truth. Mm -hmm. And he said, you know what? And he told me a lot about his background yes. and the racist things that he yes. had been taught. And he said, I'm going to tell you what, you you have a choice. You can either go by Taisha here or you can go by Ty. But once you pick one, you're not going to be able to teeter between the right, two. Right, right. So I thought about it. I remember talking to my mom about it and I was like, I'm going for it. Yeah. Because this was also a time where a lot of white reporters were changing their name to sound more ethnic because we were a little bit more sought after at this time. I knew a guy named Michael who was going by Mario. And I'm like, I know his name's not Mario. <laughs> so I was like, I'm going for my God-given name. I'm going for Taisha. Taisha it is. <laughs> and I was in Fort Myers. I became an anchor there. Yes. And that's where I was when I got that interview in Boston and my mother passed. It was just, it, it was a lot. Yeah, but I was there for almost five years, and I was comfortable there, but you get paid in sunshine in Florida in news. You don't get paid a lot. You have, like, you know, it wasn't expensive really to live there. Mm -hmm. I lived on the water and everything, but I didn't get paid that much, mm -hmm. and I was comfortable. I got a call from one of my brother's friends. The Fox station in Boston was getting flack for not having people of color. They yeah. had no one of color on the air, Yeah. and Jason Bramble was black. He was a sports producer, and he got my number from my brother and called me and said, I need you to apply in Boston. To And I'm like, I'm never going to get that job. I'm coming from a media market. Yeah. I'm never going to get that job. Right. He said, just do it. Why not? Mm -hmm. Doesn't, it's not going to cost you anything. Mm. I applied. They called me right away. Mm. They called me right away. They brought me in for an interview. And even still, at the interview, they were like, well, we really like your energy, but there's a lot of people going for this job that are, have a lot more experience right. than you, you know? Mm -hmm. And they were really looking for a woman of color from the Boston area, well, really from New England, preferably from Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. And so I fit all those things. things yeah. And I, my mom passed June um, 26th. I had still not gotten the job yet. And I was just praying they did not see in the paper that my mother died because I thought they really won't give me the job then because she's grieving and she won't be able to handle it, which was sort of true. Mm -hmm. So... One of my mentors said, and my father always said, the squeakiest wheel gets the grease. Yes. So when they weren't calling me, I started sending him every single day. I sent him an email with a link to my story from that day. So he knew I wasn't just a highlight reel. So I started sending him, that news director's name was Paul McGonigal. I was sending him my, new, my, my, my story every single day. And I'm telling you, I'm like, I'm either going to get it or he's going to block me. Because mm -hmm. I was emailing him every day. And I got the job yes. in October. And I was working in Boston in November. Wow. Yep. 
Some people might think, Taisha, um, yes, you worked hard, but was it really a race card, too, that helped open these I'm not going to lie. It definitely opened the door. Yeah. I kept the door open. Oh, come on, girl. I kept come the door on. open because yeah. I was still competing. Yeah. With a lot of people of color, of color who had more experience than me mm-hmm. who were from that area. Mm-hmm. So, yes, it absolutely got the door open for me. Mm-hmm. But I wouldn't have been able to stay in that door if I wasn't me. Yeah, doing the work. Yeah. Because you're doing the work. Yes. Hard work. Absolutely. Learning on the fly. And a lot of people don't realize that Channel 2, we have to pitch our own stories every day. Really? Every single day. I Like, I... Even my friends thought that we just go to work, yes, we look cute, yes, yes, they hand us our assignment, yes, they say, God, like on TV, here's your assignment, wait, 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 there you wait. go. No, 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 no. our meetings go, <laughs> what do you have today, Taisha, yes. in front of everybody. Right, 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 okay. And not just me, everybody has to pitch every single day. Now, they give us a little leeway. If they don't like your story, uh-huh. there are always things that need to be covered. Okay. But you don't ever want to be known as the reporter who always needs something handed to them. Uh, wow. So you better at least have three good stories for good stories a week wow yeah and you pitch before you go in like what what is the pitching like so every we have a meeting every morning at nine and we pitch we have to say and it's not just hey i think this is a really good idea if we do this no it's this is the idea i spoke to this person i'm set up with this person to interview this is the video we're going to get and this is going to be how it has impact for everybody in metro atlanta real journey every day Real journalism. Every day. Like, I, I don't know how other newsrooms go in Atlanta, but I know that our newsroom is buttoned up. It's strict. It's about that life. Yes. And it's the reason why a lot of people don't stay at Channel 2, because yeah. not everybody survives. Mm. It's, 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 a, it's nothing you're taught in college. Mm. It's got to be something that's in you. Mm. That You know, I always say getting the job's tough, keeping the it's job is harder. tougher. Oh, God, yeah. 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 Quality news that's coming out of this station. Well, that's why I think we're a monster Quality station. News. We're a monster station because we don't just rely on one group of people mm-hmm. to come up with mm-hmm. the stories. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they they rely on us being in the community. Like, even the event that we met, yes. you know, I, I'm going to keep in touch with a lot of those people. And a lot of those people are going to come to me and say, hey, do you know about this? And I always say it's planting seeds, right? Yes. You know, It doesn't grow right away. But I have gotten so many exclusive stories from people that I've met on things like that. And then something happens and they call and they're like, Ty, I think you're the one who needs to know about Mm -hmm. this. And then I research it and I develop it and it becomes an exclusive story that, that that impacts a lot of people. Yeah. I got a story for you. I'll tell you when we go in the green room. I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) (laughs) I want to talk to you about you being in the news in Boston, you know, listen, we had, mom did her thing. You left Boston, broken heart, went to HU. Now you're back. How does it feel to be in that space? So I got to tell you first how I got back because it really is an amazing story. So I get to Boston, right? I'm like, this is where I need to be. Mm. Then the mental health comes into play. Me losing my mother, yes. me feeling like they only hired me to put me in a box. Now I came from a station in Florida where I was an anchor. I was one of the favorites. Yes. I was one of the people that was like, you know, yes. held up here. Yes. I get to Boston and they're like, all right, you sit over here. You know, you, you, you filled our quota. They wouldn't really let me do things to spread my wings so that broke my heart Mm -hmm. my mom being gone you know was a weight on me and I had never 
I've always believed in mental illness because my mom had a few um, things with mental health, but I never experienced it myself. And I've always considered myself so strong. But when my mother passed, I went through it. And I finished my two-year contract and I had to take a break. I knew that I was either going to have a mental breakdown or I was going to try to still keep on, hold on to this job. And I took the break and I remember my father was so disappointed in me. A lot of people were so disappointed in me because I had made it to what they thought was the top. Mm -hmm. And now I'm just giving it up because it's really hard to walk away from news yes. in a top 10 market and to come back Yes, when you take a break. So I took the break. I had already been teaching Zumba because I had started teaching Zumba in Florida. And so I said, I'm going to use that to make money until I can get myself healthy enough to get back. Yeah. And I had tried grief counselors. I had tried therapy. None of that worked for me. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying it doesn't work, but it didn't work okay. for me. I don't think I had the right people. Right. Okay. But me starting my own Zumba studio... Um, helping women lose weight who hated going to the gym mm. by dancing it off yes. healed me. Nice. So after two years, I was like coasting. And one of my mentors was like, the National Association of Black Journalists Conference is in Boston this year. Every year they have it in a different city. Mm. It had never been in Boston before. Mm. So I'm like, this is a sign. So I get, I get all my, get my little reel together. And now remember, all my stuff was two years old. Mm -hmm. So I flew to California with a, um, there was a camera guy that I knew that I had worked with and he had a production company. And I said, we got to fake it till we make it. So we went out, we shot a lot of fake stuff. He mixed in my fake stuff with my real stuff and we made a reel. Love it. And I get to NABJ. I interviewed because I only had money to go to one day. I didn't have money to go to two days. Mm -hmm. So I interviewed with 14 stations in seven hours. So every half hour I had to, and I'm telling you, Fernandez, and I'm going to be the best for your station. And I had to like, you know, like get, yeah. and I didn't even eat that yeah. whole seven hours. Wow. So the last station I interviewed with was Channel 2. Come on, Channel And two. I never, I, I had not done my research, so I'm going to be honest. I did not know who WSB was at that time. So I'm like, I sit down and I put my name on the list and I'm like pretty far down on the list, but I didn't care. It was my last one. I was like, I just, I had a, a, a sigh of relief. I'm like, okay, I can breathe. And it's so funny how it all works out. And this is what, if you don't get anything from this, get always be yourself, right? Mm -hmm. So there's a white woman walking around who's very underdressed. And there are two black women who are very dressed up. Mm -hmm. The underdressed white woman, I had no idea, was an executive for Cox. Mm -hmm. She comes over to me and she's asking me all these questions. And I have guard down. I'm just telling her everything. <laughs> and I'm talking just like we're talking right now. I'm like myself. And she's like looking at my resume and she's like, why, why aren't you working right now? And I'm like, I told her, I was like, listen, my mentors told me not to say this, but my mother passed. And I'm at the point where people don't understand that I had to take a break because my mother passed. I don't want to work for that company. Mm -hmm. So I'm telling her all this stuff and she's writing stuff down and I'm thinking she's a helper. Yeah. She goes over. She says something to the two black women that are very dressed up. They look at me. And they call my name next. And I'm still not getting it. I'm just like, yes, because I'm hungry. So they call me over and, I, and they interview me, right? And they ask me the same thing. They're like, they're going through. They're looking at my reel. They're looking at my resume. And like, I'm, I have like the most experience of anybody at this conference because the conference is really for people who have a lot less experience trying to get more, yeah. not people who have 10 years experience already. Yeah. So they're like, tell me again why you don't have a job right now. I'm like, totally by choice. I needed a break. I need to get my mind right. And I'm just trying to get back in. And I'm like, honestly, I don't even know if I'm ready to get back in. My mentors are telling me that I needed to do this. So yeah. I'm just doing it. Yeah. So they were like, okay, 
how many other people did you talk to today? I was like, I interviewed with um, 13 other stations. They were like, don't talk to anybody till you talk to us. Mm. And I got a call a couple days later. They flew me down here and I got the job. So that was that NABJ conference was July 31st, 2014. I interviewed here September 17th, 2014. And I was on the air November 2nd. Wow. 2014. They didn't mess around. And then I was like, oh no, <laughs> now I have to produce. Like I, and then I found out you had to pitch all your stories. I had not had to do that at all my other stations. Right, right. And remember I was anchoring too, so I didn't have to do that. Yeah. So they were like, this is how it goes down here. You have to pitch stories every day. So now I'm like, oh my God, how am I going to keep this job? I don't know anybody here. Like, I'm telling you, prayer, yeah. hard work, yes. and I just, what I, my method was, I started volunteering with a lot of different organizations, mm-hmm. and that, that was always what my mother taught us to do. Yeah. Not to get stories, but to be a good human being. Yeah, yeah. And it worked, because I started volunteering with all kinds of people, and once they saw I was a real person, yeah. they would help me. They would be like, well, I don't know if this is a story, but there's this, and at least I had things to pitch. Yeah. They didn't always stick, but at least I had yes, things to pitch. And then I got myself, you know, I was working weekends. I was working mornings. I had a horrible shift. That's how you got to do it. You have to start from the bottom for real. Mm, and I was mm. off weekends and on to the day side shift in two years. Nice. Which was good. It was great. Good timing for Look Channel 2. You. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I'm not going back home. I'm not going back home. So it's just going to have to work. It's going to have to work. It's going to have to work. Hey, so you like Atlanta. I love Atlanta. Oh, I love Atlanta. It, I think... um it's a great place where you're not capped by the color of your skin. You're not capped by being a woman. Yes. You're not capped by, you know, anything. If you work hard here, at least in news, I've only worked in news in Atlanta, mm. but in news, if you work hard here, you will succeed. Mm. It has nothing to do with color. And I felt like in Boston, I could not get past a certain threshold. Wow. I still yeah. feel like it's like that there. I, you're probably right. It's still like that there. You're probably right. They feel like I got, okay, we have one black anchor, that's enough. That's it. You know, they, they don't do that here. Like, you, no. if you see, you see plenty of black faces, no. plenty of Asian people. faces you and Hispanic quali- faces. Yeah. yeah. Everybody qualified and yeah. good at what they do. Yep. And you're right. It is a lot of diversity on WSB. Oh, yes. It's and even in management. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's good. Because we can't see management. Yeah. You can't see management. But, yeah. I mean, we are, we are all up and down. Awesome. All up and down. Awesome. Tell me about the Edward R. Morrow Award. Did you receive that? I did. I got that award. I'm trying to remember what year. Um, let me think. 2000. So I was in Florida 2006, 2010. Had to be around 2008, 2009. Okay. So what happened was, it's so funny. I used to go to this restaurant all the time. And, well, first, before that, let me tell you this. We had a news director um, after the one that hired me, mm-hmm. and he was kind of lax. You know, I won't say his name. He was kind of relaxed, <laughs> which we all loved because we didn't have to work as hard. And the company saw that, and they were like, no, we're getting rid of him. And so they brought in this lady that they called, like, the pit bull of the company. Mm. And she used to fly around to different stations, and she would come in and wreck shop. She would come in. If you weren't good enough, you get the boot. Like, And so we were all scared, right, when she came. And we were like, oh, no, we want to keep our jobs. So I remember like I was trying to find a real good story to pitch to her on that Monday. So I had always gone to this restaurant and the GM at the restaurant came up to me and was like, Hey, I don't know if this is a story, but my four year old, or maybe he was five, um, was on the bus and I was at the bus stop and he never showed up. Mm -hmm. And when he didn't show up, they couldn't find him. They had no idea where he was. And she was like, I just think that that's crazy. And then she runs me all through like how she, she thought her son was like kidnapped and she didn't get him until like three hours later. 
So I pitched the story as just that one-dimensional story. Right. And that Pitbull news director at the time, and she does not mind being called that because that's exactly what she is, <laughs> she said, Ty, where there's smoke, there's fire. That's a good story, but where there's smoke, there's fire. And you, you got to find out what's going on with this transportation system in Lee County, Florida. Mm. So I was like, okay. So I start, you know, making open records requests, trying to figure out, trying to talk to bus drivers. Come to find out. Mm. Mm. The transportation system was all out of whack. Mm. Kids are not supposed to be on a bus for more than 90 minutes a day because it makes them not want to learn when they get home. It makes them very antisocial. Okay. They were on the bus for two hours, two and a half hours, and it was because the director, I won't say his name, the he got fired, mm. the director of the transportation system was not doing his job. Wow. So the buses were doing this. Wow. Instead of doing like a, you know, a a smooth path to make everybody's bus ride shorter. Mm. And I exposed the whole thing I'm talking about. They didn't want to talk to me. And this news director was crazy. She made me go. They, I couldn't get the superintendent or the school board members to talk to me. So I went and talked during public comment. And that, you just don't do that. That's Mm -hmm. just not the way media works. But this news director was like, we're going to shake some stuff. And man, it was a three month investigation. And I, other import, other reporters um, were enlisted to help me because it became too big. Mm. And we all won an Edward, Edward R. Murrow Award for that because we basically changed lives for those kids. And their parents and parents, like we did so many stories after of how this improved my kids' um, education. Mm-hmm. This my kids doing so much better yeah. now. They want to play sports. They want to yeah. do this. They want to do that. Like, and it just felt good because I come from an educator. So helping the education system mm-hmm. and helping kids, mm-hmm. like that was like so gratifying. Even more than the award. The award was great because it was the first award I ever got. Yeah. But it was um, so gratifying to help the kids in that county. Mm-hmm. And you're still helping kids. Talk about some of the charities and, and organizations you work with or mentoring. When we talk, you said you love mentoring. Kids. I do love mentoring. The pandemic has kind of put that to um, a halt. But I was I was talking to a different school every other week before the pandemic. I'm talking serious? about, and I'd like to focus on the Southern schools. So I was in Clayton County. I was in South Fulton County. I was in the schools that... Um, a lot of people feel like are neglected. Yeah. So I would go, I would talk to elementary school kids. I would talk to um, the middle school kids, high school kids. Wow. I would talk to different organizations, Boys and Girls Club. Yes. Um, who else? Um, really the schools yes. is what I focused on. Yes. Boys and Girls Club in the schools. And then there were different, um, just like groups of, of women who were just trying to do things that didn't necessarily have 501c3s mm-hmm. yet, mm-hmm. but they had like the ball rolling. Yes. Yes. And they were so flattered that I would take my time to help them. And I did for a very long time. And it felt weird when the pandemic hit because I just wasn't doing anything mm-hmm. anymore. Mm-hmm. And now I've done a couple things on Zoom. Mm-hmm. And I've definitely done a lot of hosting for Northside Hospital. Mm-hmm. Um, not so much talking to kids, but just like raising money for different um, kids that have different yeah. illnesses and things like that. Um, um, the what is not not First Wish. What is that called? March of Dimes. Mm-hmm. I've done some works works with them. Um, but mostly schools because okay. I like to get kids when they're at that vulnerable age. Are you going to get back into doing Oh, that? gosh, yes. Okay. Gosh, yes. Just kind of letting some things settle down. Yeah, letting some bit. things settle down. I've got some things going on in my personal life mm-hmm. where I really can't be around a whole lot of people. Mm-hmm. But um, And I can talk to you guys about that very soon. Mm-hmm. But um, I'm definitely going get, to get back in because that's what feeds yeah. my soul. Yeah. That's what feeds my soul. You ever thought about maybe... Um, 
putting a scholarship or something for your mom in your so we did that in Boston so at her school the Boston Latin School yes, and it wasn't school. all our doing it was really a lot of students who became teachers at Boston Latin yes. they came up with the Rosanna Fernandez um, scholarship program so it's for kids who want to go into music nice. but I would love to do something here in my mother's name um, for that I want to tell you what my brother's doing in our city of Brockton he when we were uh, playing instruments growing up my mother had us playing all kinds of instruments once we got past her level of her teaching us she wanted us to go to a music conservatory and there was nothing in our area you had to go to the towns that were predominantly white we went to Hingham and um, Metapoiset and um, Swampscott these um, pretty much all white towns to get our music education yes. so my brother literally just started a music conservatory called the Rose Conservatory in my mother's name in Brockton where he's giving kids the opportunity because a lot of times if you don't come from a music family if you don't come from a music background sometimes you're not exposed and you may have the talent inside of you but you've never been exposed and so he's exposing those kids Mm -hmm. that may not have ever tried it Mm -hmm. and he's he's mixing it so you have to do rap and piano Mm. or DJing and something else so it's like everybody wants to be a rapper right everybody wants to try to be a music producer so he's making them learn the other stuff with it like you have to do it rap and piano together yeah 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 that's how it was I mean I don't want to I don't know if I came from a musical family I guess so yeah my aunt played my sister played the piano okay so but a little bit, a little bit. I played, I played violin up until I did ninth too. grade. Yeah, <laughs> but <laughs> violin's I think, a great discipline. What what it is is exactly what you said, Taisha. Um, I the, my violin teacher at that time, he came to the school mm-hmm. and he played, mm-hmm. and we also, you know, and there were people that had never seen a guy play a violin in person. You see it on TV, and yeah, like, and they they ran home and said, "I want to learn. I want to learn." So it's like. You do have to bring the music to the kids. You do. Earlier the better because they don't get it. I mean, you know, you're in a little glee club, you sing a little choir. But if you can have musicians come, mm-hmm. it just opens up their eyes. And it opens more when it's a black person. So yeah. I don't know what that noise is. So my brother is all tatted up. He is tattooed up and he has a book. He actually got into some trouble because he was playing the violin and my mother threw him into public school and the black kids were like, you're this, you're a wimp. And they used to beat him up. And so he tried to go the other route and he got into the streets and he went to jail and he got out of jail. He went to jail while he was a college student. He got out of jail and he said to my mother, I promise you I'm going to be what you always wanted me to be. He went back to school and even though he had this felony, he still found his way back into the school system. That's why he's contracted by the school system and not like an employee. And he, when he goes into these schools, tatted up, he had dreads for the longest. And these kids see him play the violin, see him play the piano, see him sing. I mean, they see themselves in him. And he has a book called Excuse Limit Zero, and it's on Amazon. Uh Um, And it's it's very affordable. But if you have a young son, um, especially a black son, son of color, get that book because it talks about the struggles he went through, how he ran from his talent, how he was ashamed from his talent mm-hmm. because of everybody else, and how he still took his mistakes and succeeded anyway. Mm-hmm. It's a great book. Okay. Excuse okay. Limit Zero. Okay. Written by Brothers name? Gregory Fernandez. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Get that book. I'm going to get it. Yeah. I'm going to get it. Come I'll on. give you one. Oh, thank you. I have one in my car. Oh, I'll give you one. Yeah. The only thing I want is for you to tell other people about it. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. I will yes. give you the book. Yes. 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 Is there a book in you? 
I think there is. There is a book Because I'm there. a writer. You are I'm a writer. I'm a writer. I have so much to say. And I have a computer that's just for me writing down my thoughts because I have so many stories. <laughs> so many stories. You so there's definitely actress. a book. You are a writer. There's a book coming. And yeah. I don't know when, but definitely in my you future. You have to write a book. Oh, definitely. And, and, and I want to do, you know, when I... When I do move on from local news, I want to do different seminars where I can give motivational speeches to, to young girls. Yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Where it's not just in schools, where it's outside of schools where I can talk real, real, yeah, real yeah, with them. Yeah, we want you to talk real. Yeah, because I'm real with them in school, but you know, you have to be politically correct in the in schools school. if you want to come back. I know. So um, I want to do motivational speeches to young girls yes. and guys yes. too. Yes. But I want, I, I see that in my future. Hmm. I do. Hmm. So you don't want to do, you don't want to go national with your, with your career. I had an opportunity to at one point, but it was so late in my career that I didn't want to move around. Mm. I didn't want to be sent to this city, to that city. Yeah. If it had happened earlier in my career. Oh yeah. That was definitely mm -hmm. um, a goal of mine, but mm. you just kind of get to a point. At least I did mm -hmm. where I don't want to move around anymore. Mm. I, I want to, I want to be still. I want to just be good at my craft here. And I love Atlanta and I just don't want to live out of a suitcase and live, you know, I just yeah. didn't, it came so late in my career, the opportunity. And I was already here and yeah. I was already at WSB and I do so, love being there. Yeah, you do. We can tell. Yeah. What is the message you would tell young girls getting an opportunity? Do not limit yourself. I remember telling girls telling my peers in the seventh and eighth grade that I'm going to be a news reporter and I'm going to be on TV. And I'm telling you, everybody laughed at me. Teachers, peers, family members, like, girl, you better have a backup. Like you better have, you better have a backup. You better have something else. And I would be like, you know, and I would get discouraged by that. But my mom was such a dreamer mm. and a supporter of dreams. Mm. And even though I didn't know anybody in news, I'm not someone who comes from a family of news people and this uncle hooked me up or this right, person right, hooked right. me up. Nobody hooked me up. And um, I think when you say that you're going to go into a field that you have no in with, I think people's automatic reaction is you can't do that. Like you can't, you know, it's very competitive. And even my mom at some points was like, well, Taisha, it is very competitive, but at least you'll have your degree yeah. and you'll be able to do something else. And I'm like, is that dope? Because I feel like you told me that I could do whatever I wanted and now you're backtracking. And then she was like, nope, 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 you're right. You're right. You're right. You're right. And I'm, I'm so glad that before she passed, she got to see me doing it. She got to see, she, I'll never forget. I know we're probably running out of time, but I'll never forget. She came to see me in Florida. She got to sit in the studio and got to see me anchor a whole show solo. So she saw me like going to one camera, to another camera, standing up, doing this, talking wow. about the car. She was like, I could never do that. My mother was like, you know, nerves. She yeah. was like, I, I could never, I could never do it. But I think I get that part from my dad. I get the fearlessness from my dad. Like, no, I can't do. Like, I'm not going like, to, yeah, I'm nervous, but I'm going to like step on those nerves until the end. Yeah. I'm going to get yeah. through this and I like you that's another thing I want to say to young people don't let your nerves and your fear of failing stop you because I failed so many times I got so much rejection to get into that program minorities and broadcasting training program I had to prove that I had been rejected from 50 five zero different jobs okay so I got rejected 50 times before I got that one opportunity yeah. so 
when they tell you you can't do it or when your head is telling you you can't do it, if you will put in the work and you really believe you have the talent and you're ready to learn and always be a sponge, keep trying. Yeah. Keep trying. Because yeah. I could have given up and could have been doing whatever. But you wouldn't be here I'm today. so glad. I'm so, so glad. glad. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. And God, like, pray, yeah. too. Yeah. That is huge. Yeah. Yeah. Prayer is huge. Yeah. And a lot a lot of times I felt like, I don't even know if I'm praying right. Yeah. Like, I'm just talking to somebody that's not there. So He's not talking back. Tell me, give us a glimpse of what you would say. So I would always prayer. start with the Lord's Prayer. I know okay. that that kind of opens up the channel, right? Yes. And, and growing up in church, I know that by heart. I've always known it by heart. I start out with the Lord's Prayer, and then I just... You know, I, I tell the Lord what I want, mm. like I'm talking to a human being. Mm-hmm. And then my mother always taught me to thank him too, because a lot of the stuff I'm asking for is already there. It's coming. It's coming. So it's thank you for this career, Lord. Thank you for this. Thank you for this family I'm going to have. Thank you for this mm-hmm. longevity. Thank you for this health. Thank yes. you for this wealth. Yes. Um. And, and I've gotten more comfortable as I've gotten older and praying, but I still don't think I'm a pro or anything. But I feel like my prayers are being answered, so I'm doing something right. <laughs> Thank you. This was so much fun. I love this. I love this. I'm so glad I met you. I'm so glad that you spoke to me. Yeah, yeah. And so like I don't know, like I could feel your energy, even though we both had masks on, like I could feel your energy right away. And I think that a lot of people are afraid to approach me Mm -hmm. and you weren't. I thought people are, they're afraid to approach me only because I, they see me on TV, yeah, not because I'm you're, like. You're a woman. Yeah. You know, you're you're a beautiful woman. You're just a person. And just like, a person. And I think it was important that day because we were there to overcome those type of fears. Yes. Right? That was the point the of it. The whole purpose of the Sisters in Business Expo was to allow women to come together that own businesses. Yeah. To network. Yeah. And to grow. Yeah. And to get out of their comfort zone. Yeah. And have powerful speakers talk about. The overcoming their challenges, and you facil- you moderated the most of the day. I did, you and you were the very day. first person that I had a conversation with. Oh, you were the yeah, very yeah. first person I had a conversation with, yeah. and um, it set the tone for the yeah. day. I met so many more beautiful, beautiful women beautiful. inside and out, um, powerful women, yes. and it was such a gamut of women. It was women who were. Um, nervous because they didn't know what they were yeah. trying to do. They yeah. kind of had all these ideas. It went to women who had done a lot of things, yeah. to women who were on top. Yeah. It was like the whole, and everyone was so respectful was and beautiful. open and taking pictures and, and like nice. no one acted like they were too good. Like no. no one can ever tell me that black women don't support each other ever, ever. again. Ever. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it. She was like, look at us in here. We're yep. all doing we were it. all so supportive, yeah. like genuinely. Genuinely. And we all, um, there was cross pollination of our, of our money. Yes. Our economics. Yes. We were buying I was buying things. I yes. Bought I bought a lot. People, <laughs> you know, and this, that, and everything. And so I, I feel that when we all left, we left at a higher dimension. Like I'm telling you. Higher level because no one should have felt. Um, disappointed. I came home on such a high. Me too. I was running my mouth. My husband like, <laughs> <laughs> he was probably like, what? He probably wasn't even listening to what I was saying. I was it going was from one nice. thing to another. It was really It was nice. awesome. And the pictures were great. You did a great job. Thank you so You're much. So good at what you Thank did. you. This was an honor. I was just being myself. That was the most beautiful part. Yeah. Like, this is Isn't just. Isn't that fun? I didn't have to bring a story idea here, yeah. so this was easy. <laughs> 
I let the pitch to y'all. <laughs> this isn't it great where you can just be your authentic self. It is. You don't have to compromise and worry about well, what try to I be say somebody there? else. You get to be you. And that's, that's the best place awesome to be. Thing. And that's very encouraging because Taisha is, as, as women, black women in particular, yeah. we're learning to own our truth yep. more and more each day. Yep. We're getting more and more comfortable in our skin. Yep. We're unapologetic. We're yep. uncompromised. We're letting our talent and our skills and our knowledge make room, create space for us. So it's, it's so good to see you winning. Thank you. And 10 years ago, I wouldn't have felt comfortable being this real. 10 mm. years ago, I would have been like, still like, <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't have said a lot of the things that I said yes. about, you know, racism and yes. prejudice yes. And, and challenges. I wouldn't have been honest. Yes. So it took me time to get mm. comfortable being me. And I'll never forget. I had a consultant tell me if you would just be more of you, mm. you would be such a better reporter. She told me that in 2005. Wow. And it still took me time because I was also uncomfortable with my voice because my voice is deep and it's raspy. And I had people tell me, you're never going to make it in TV news with that voice. And I'm like, really? So then I try to sound like higher than I really, it was just a mess. Oh, I love it now. But I I was, I was not loving it in 2004. Okay. Not loving it. We get the full package, (laughs) the voice, the presence, the whole thing. This is awesome. I loved it. We are going to do work together. I'm so excited. This is just the beginning. 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 I want to thank you for today. Thank you. This was awesome. Thank you for having me. I had questions, but... She went I just the talk a lot. I was like, that was my next question. That was my next question. I was like, see, it's hate. Listen, listen, podcasters and people, do your research. It's very good to know what your guest is about. So you just, they just say it. You know how to populate. You know what to ask. You know what to go next. Do your research. Yes. So you can ask good questions. So yes. Yes. thank you so much. Thank this you, Michelle. Fun. This was great. This was fun. Listen. And I hope your listeners enjoyed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, so listen, wait, before you zoom out, come on, come on, Joe. Listen. <laughs> Today's show was powered by the wellness spa. Yeah, I talked about it at the beginning of the show. Yes, put your best foot forward, their shoe drive. It ended on Thursday, but listen, and you know you still got some shoes you need to give. Some lightly, gently worn shoes. Maybe if you're going to try I have some shoes. Yeah, shoes give them to me I'll i give will them to yeah we'll donate it because they're giving these shoes to kids in the college park uh, area it's college park elementary love t Noel elementary woodland middle school and westlake high school so listen you got some shoes that you're not wearing lightly worn you go to walmart all the time i saw you at target go ahead and get a pair of shoes and donate it at the wellness spot so we can get it to the kids in the neighborhood the other thing i want to promote today or it's powered by this show is powered by ellen Elevate, yes, elevateatlantaart.com. They're doing some phenomenal things. Thank you, Keisha uh, Lance Bonds, who um, coordinated this. It's hard to see it on the, awesome. on, the blue, on the blue screen. But this is what it's all about. It's all about getting communities to re-engage, reconnect, reopen. The pandemic has been such an impact on all of us, like yes. 18 months. Mm-hmm. And so it's creating a safe space outdoors. For art, music, uh, food, 
um, health, wellness, all of that good stuff. So, Real Chicks Rock is involved with two of the days, working with Hot Ice Live. That sounds amazing. Yeah. So, we're going to be at Cook Park on October 16th from 12 to 4. Join us. It is free. Did I say it's free? It is free. Come. Free. We're going to have yoga. We're going to have wellness. We're going to have mental health. We're going to have people there to talk to you about those things. There'll be food. Just come on out. October 16th, uh, Cook Park from 12 to 4, and then we're doing it the next weekend, October 23rd at Phoenix Park. That's in the um, Georgia State Stadium area, kind of bleeds into Grant Park. Phoenix Park is a beautiful park as well. Same thing. So if you can't get us on the 16th, get us on the 23rd. But there's so much going on with Elevate. It's eight weekends of nonstop arts and festivals and things going on. So go to the website, elevateatlart.com to find out the schedule. If you got questions for me, you know where to reach me. I am everywhere. I am on Instagram, Real Chicks Rock. I am on Twitter. Check out the Facebook page as well as the website realchicksrock.com that is my time but before I go I want to thank all of our listeners Get Live Radio WDJY 99.1 The On Channel Beat Break uh, Radio FM and lastly may you live to be 100 and I live to be 100 minus a day so that I never (laughs) have to know that nice people like you had passed away that's in honor of the great Frankie Crocker until next time Take care, be well, and continue to rock on. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you have a product or service you'd like to have promoted during the show, please contact us at info at realchicksrock.com and we'll send you the details. We're reaching the masses and we would love for you to join us on the ride. Until next time, take care and continue to rock on.